and it is the Energy is Love podcast. Thank you, everybody. We have been on somewhat of a hiatus the last few weeks with the podcast, so I'm very, very excited to be back, back to recording, back to interviewing, all that good stuff, getting you guys episodes to listen to and all that jazz, I suppose. Remember, go find us online, energieslovepodcast.com. All the episodes are available there. All the information is available there. All the links where you can download and listen, as well as follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff, energieslovepodcast.com. A couple things we got to chat about first before the episode. First and foremost, we've got the New Consciousness Expo coming up next month, Saturday, April 22nd. It's going to be held at the Southtown Expo Center. It's free admission. It's an all-day event, runs from 10 to 6. So if you've never been before and you live here locally in Utah, it's a wonderful opportunity to come out and experience such a wide variety of different things. So many different opportunities and people are going to be there providing their services, their skills, selling their their wares and all their crystals and all that good stuff. So it's a beautiful event. We'll be there. My wife and I will be there. And we'd love to see everybody out at the New Consciousness Expo. Remember, next month, Saturday, April 22nd, it's actually Earth Day as well, so... Two birds with one stone come out and uh, experience all that good energy and support Mother Earth. This episode is brought to you by As Above, So Below. As Above, So Below is located in Roy, Utah, and it's a wonderful, beautiful little metaphysical shop. So anything that you could possibly imagine, anything that you may need for your spiritual journey into the cosmos, you can find it at As Above, So Below. If you go to our website, energieslovepodcast.com, and click on the sponsors link, the tab up top that says sponsors, it's very convenient and easy to locate. Click on there, and you'll find a link to As Above, So Below. You can go to their Facebook page, follow them on Facebook, keep up to date with everything that they're doing. They host events there on a very regular basis. Some really wonderful opportunities if you live in the area to experience some things and learn about some things. And So remember, go follow them on Facebook, As Above, So Below. And then when you are in the area, pop in and say hello. On this episode of the podcast, I got a chat with the one and only JP Sears. So way back when I started the podcast, JP was on my short list of people that I really wanted to interview one day on the show. He came out to Utah, I think it was in February. He came out in February and spoke at an event. My wife and I went, we got to meet JP in person, chat with him a little bit. And now we've got the opportunity to have him on the show. So I'm very, very excited. This was a wonderful episode, wonderful interview. JP just released his first book, How to Be Ultra Spiritual. You can find it everywhere. And if you haven't, I suggest going out and picking it up. I've got an audio copy of it. I travel a lot, so I listen to JP's book when I'm out there flying around the country. Just like his videos, just like everything that he puts out there, it's incredibly funny, thought-provoking. And he also gets into all the good stuff, all the deeper stuff and this episode's kind of the same way. We got a wonderful opportunity to chat and share a little bit about him, his story, his experience, talks about his new book, and then I just get to pick his brain for a while. So it was a lot of fun. You can go find all of his stuff online. He's pretty much anywhere and everywhere you could imagine. Go to his website. It's awakenwithjp.com. Obviously, that'll take you anywhere where he is. Facebook, he's got a huge following on Facebook, his YouTube channel where he releases all of his videos, Instagram, Twitter, he's everywhere. Cannot thank JP enough. Such a wonderful opportunity for me. I loved getting the chance to interview him. So you guys are going to get the opportunity now to sit back and relax and enjoy this beautiful, wonderful episode with my guest, J.P. Sears. Here we go. You're listening to the Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is the love podcast. The Energy is love podcast. Energy is love. 
is love podcast the podcast for the universe the energy is love podcast well good afternoon jp hey craig i would agree it is a good afternoon thank you so much man i really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and do this it's uh it's a big big honor for me i'm super excited for the episode so thank you Oh, well, thank you. I'm, I'm honored that you're honored. <laughs> and where are you right now? I know you're around, you know, you've been traveling tons lately, doing all the press and stuff for the book, but where are you? Yes, right now I'm in Costa Rica and, and being here, I'm delighted to say it has nothing to do with business or the book. It's just uh, the attending to business matters of my heart. Uh, my lovely lady in life uh, lives in Costa Rica so I'm delighted to have a um, chance to come down and spend some wonderful time with her. So you're just taking a little bit of time? Yeah, I'm here all together for about nine days uh, which, between book events. So, yeah, it's been so wonderful. That's way nice. How's Costa Rica? I've never been down there. Yeah, it's. Uh, I enjoy it. The land itself is just rich. It's fertile. It's alive. There's wonderful wildlife. It's amazingly beautiful. And my experience of the people here, uh, they're absolutely wonderful as well. So, yeah, I'm my one complaint about Costa Rica would be some of the roads are uh, I mean, they're called roads, but uh, <laughs> are they actually roads? That would be my one complaint if I forced myself to have one. Yeah. Well, we actually got to meet last month in person when you came out to Utah and you did a speaking event at one of the, um, yes. one, I don't even remember what the heck it was called, but my wife and I got to meet you and it was a wonderful thing. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us just for a minute when you had a, had a moment. Yeah, for sure. I'm very happy to have the chance to meet you in person and glad that we get to come full circle now to, uh, you know, a bit more time together. Yeah. Well, we're going to dive right into it because I've got a thousand and one questions that I want to ask you. So we're going to start wow, off. With we're some... going to have we're going to have to talk fast. <laughs> and, and I only I retain only enough information to answer about three and a half questions. So we'll just create some filler for the other nine hundred ninety eight questions. <laughs> Sounds good. So I've got some hard hitting ones for you right off the bat. Oh, I'm so nervous. I love it. So is JP, in fact, your real name? And if so, what does JP stand for? Well, yes, uh, JP, it sort of is my real name. It's what I've gone by ever since probably before I could talk. Uh, it's just what my family called me. And so JP is my initials. It stands for just perfect. Uh, that <laughs> actually is my my ego's interpretation. <laughs> but uh, the other version of that is it stands for Jonathan Patrick. Jonathan Patrick. I like just perfect. Just perfect, too. That's pretty good. Yeah, you know, it sets the bar kind of high. Inspires. All I have to do is be a perfectionist. That's <laughs> it. And then next, I want to know what the inspiration for your purple lace headband was. I think that that that's like, uh, I mean, that's like your signature headband in all your ultra spiritual videos. So, yeah, the the inspiration that was almost just like an afterthought uh, when I was making the first ultra spiritual video back in October 2014. You know, the camera was already out, you know, just about ready to go. And just like at the last second, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're going to in the new age spiritual scene, like a headband can just be a symbolic representation of the whole culture. 
And yeah, let me. So at the time, the the girlfriend I had at the time, I asked her, "Do you have any kind of headband or anything?" And she's like, "No, but I, I've got this green scarf that you know we can tie in the tie around your head." So uh, that became the headband. And you know when that relationship ended, I I got the scarf, but she got my pride. So I I think I won <laughs> in that exchange. The scarf is worth more. So it, once I once I figured out. After a few weeks from releasing the first video that I'm actually going to do another video because I, I didn't have plans for it to be an ongoing thing, uh, then it, it like dawned on me, okay, I'm kind of creating a character here and the headband is part of the character, flower in the headband. So, yeah, it, it, it feels to me like I was just discovering the... Ooh, a headband is part of the character. There wasn't too much premeditation that went into it. Was there much premeditation in regards to kind of that character itself that you were creating or did that all kind of happen organically as well? Very organically. Uh, at the time, I didn't even know I was creating a character. Uh, the You know, I did the first video and I, I did it in a satirical back, backwards way of, you know, this is how you can be ultra spiritual but of course i'm talking about things and the advice i'm giving is the exact opposite that would increase your spiritual <laughs> connection and and again a few weeks after i released the first video and it struck me like oh, wow i i want to make another video and potentially more after that then it was then i sort of in a creative way started to tune into okay i the the mentality, the sort of the personality that I came across with in the in a satirical way in the first video, that felt good, and I want to get more nuanced with that. So it became a process of, I would call it less about creating the character and more about discovering the character. And I do believe that the character, and I sound like a cliche artist here for a second, I do believe that the character is very much a part of me. So in discovering the character, I think it was really about discovering a part of me that sees life in a very satirical way. Uh, you know, it's a, 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 I guess, a bit of a, a version of a comedic, playful way of seeing life. And it's a part of me that sees the unseen in life, who looks under the obvious. And that's what the character brings up in videos, typically, so, yeah, and, and I would say it was probably the first 20 or so ultra-spiritual videos where I was really in a, I would call it the, the mode of being a student of the character. Like, okay, how would he express this? And would he say this? Would he do that? Uh, it was actually a really uh, fun mystery to uh, explore yeah. the whole character. Well, I have to tell you, um, you, you've been doing those videos. You said the first one was back in 2014. Yes. So my guess is it's probably not long after that that I came across your stuff. My mom actually was the one that turned me on to you, which is, you know, shocking for me on my end because she's not technologically, well, she is technologically advanced to a certain extent, but the fact that she, you know, is online at some point and comes across <laughs> your stuff shocked me. But I went out and looked and I started watching your videos and followed you everywhere that you're, you know, where you've got all your stuff out there. And I just loved it because it kind of came in conjunction with me and my 
my life and the experiences that I was going through and the people that I was meeting kind of as I got more involved in the new age community here locally and more active and doing all of these type of things. And then you'd have a video that would come out that would just like hit so close to some of the shit that I would see and some of the people and the way that they portray themselves and the concepts and ideas. And so it was really funny. It was really, um, it's just been neat for me to kind of follow. I mean, I, there's one of your videos where you talk about coconut oil. Yes. And it just kills me because, man, JP, I put coconut oil in my hair and we've got it in our <laughs> coffee and my wife uses it in her like essential oil blends. And it just it just cracks me up. There's so many good ones. Oh, I appreciate that. And, and I'm right there with you. you. Virtually everything I portray in videos, or at least I'd say at least 90 percent of it is very directly in my life. And it's very important to me. You know, I coconut oil everywhere. I've got jars of it everywhere. And uh, so I and, and to me, that makes the videos the fact that I'm doing parodies on things that are important to me. It, it helps me do a couple things. One, it helps me not take myself so seriously. I personally believe that the things that are most important to me don't need to be taken seriously. I think uh, the gravity of seriousness can actually disrespect what's very important to us, what we want to honor. I think playfulness is a very respectful energy of, honestly, it's like, a, to me, it puts me in a relationship posture of surrendering to that which is very important to me rather than seriousness which i think is trying to control that which is important to me and if it's something very important the last thing i want to do is control it much like a relationship with a person i think we're in a loving state of mind and heart when we're surrendered to the person uh, therefore playful with the person at, at least at times but when we're serious about the person we're going to be more controlling and i think control is absolutely not a loving thing it's not an honoring thing it's uh, trying to make the person or the thing or the subject into what we want it to be rather than letting us discover the the divine mystery of what it is and who it is so with that said, another thing my videos uh, do for me is it helps me be less dogmatic. It helps me shine the light on my shadow side within a given topic, whether it's coconut oil, being gluten intolerant, meditating, yoga. Uh, so my shadow side, how I would actually define that is essentially my my egotistical agenda within the the noble context of the video topic so when you know I, a couple of years back i did a video how to become gluten intolerant so yeah i've been gluten-free for probably 15 years and yeah i had a lot of egotistical stuff wrapped <laughs> in my my need to be gluten intolerant which you know that the egotistical agenda had nothing to do with being gluten-free. It just had to do with my ego trying to gratify itself with a sense of significance and control through, uh, uh, or better said, gratify itself with a sense of insignificance or control, but hiding that agenda behind the noble hiding spot of a health practice. So for me, welcome to humankind. We all have an ego, thus uh, we all have egotistical agendas. I mean, if we don't have an egotistical agenda, I would say that itself is an egotistical agenda. <laughs> one of the most 
gratifying things to our ego is the idea of being so evolved that we no longer have an ego. It's like, wow, that is, there's a lot of ego in that. Yeah. Um, so to me, the videos aren't meant to shame myself for having an egotistical agenda. It's meant to shine the light on uh, how I would normally hide that behind noble looking hiding spots that just look like a trump card that can't have an egotistical agenda because it's in the spiritual realm or it's in the health realm. But wherever we go, we'll have our egotistical agendas. And, and I think when we hide them, uh, they, the energy of our hidden motives becomes very misdirected and it can become destructive to our relationship with self our relationship with other people, things, as well as just our own peace of mind. But I think transparency and authenticity always trump seduction, manipulation, and and hidden agendas. So I think when we can just be vulnerable enough to be like, yeah, you know, uh, I too try to gratify my ego. I too look for a sense of significance uh, I, too, uh, want to be like the best meditator. I, too, want to be the most conscious person because part of me has a desperate need to be significant. If we can be honest with that, then I think that agenda controls us less. But I think the more we hide our egotistical agendas behind noble-looking hiding spots, the more the agendas control us. And and they can even be hidden from ourselves and I think that which we don't know about ourselves always controls us far more than what we do know about ourselves. So with that said, the videos for me are self-therapy, where I allow myself to see myself and my agendas in ways that I'm otherwise blind to. Yeah. Well, it's good therapy. I mean, it's a wonderful outlet for you, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I, it's For me, it's not the only therapy, but it's become a meaningful therapy for me. So tell me a little bit about, I always, when I interview people for the podcast, undoubtedly at some point I have the phrase like your spiritual journey. And I hate that uh, phrase, but I still use it all the time. <laughs> but it's such a spiritual <laughs> phrase, right? <laughs> but tell me about your path through, you know, at, not necessarily to the point that you're at now, but just in the journey of in the experience of kind of getting into, because my guess is, and unless you, I, I have met some people that were pretty much like born and raised, you know, practicing meditation and playing with oracle cards and, you know, crystal, all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, people come to it at a certain point in their life. They're not necessarily brought up in it. Yeah, yeah, I was definitely not brought up in it. I think my uh, the I think the prerequisite of my journey uh, is I needed to experience my childhood of uh, dealing with pain by not dealing with it, which meant I became very emotionally disconnected. So fast forward into my teens, uh, late teens, early twenties, I was a very numb person. And a funny thing about numbness is we don't feel good. We don't feel the bad stuff, but we don't feel the good stuff. The joys is sort of like a sociopathic state of mind to be in where I was just disconnected from feelings. And, but that was my safety mechanism as a child is how I learned to feel safe when at my core, I didn't feel safe. I just disconnect from fears, shame, guilt, uh, anger, anything that remotely threatened me consciously or unconsciously. So uh, while that 
would make child JP feel better in the short term. Long term, it made me feel worse. Not feeling, in my opinion, over the long term is always a worse feeling than feeling even uncomfortable. So numbness. Uh, uh, start. I started to feel the feelingless pain of being numb, as in, in, in kind of how that propelled me forward. Is I had a sense like, okay, there has to be something more to life than gratifying our five senses, acquiring things that we can see, smell, hear, taste, feel, measure, bank account, social status, that kind of thing. It was just. Yeah, it, it didn't feel solid to me. So the idea of sustaining my life off of those kind of uh, objective measurements, if you will, uh, it didn't feel solid to me. So I started a search, and I didn't know what the hell I was searching for at the time, but I was searching for something more meaningful than that which I knew. Again, didn't know what it, what it was. So it was a mysterious forest that I started exploring. And as we've all heard the saying, apparently, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. So when I was 20, uh, there was a, a very powerful mentor who entered my life, a guy named Paul Check, And I started studying his courses, which were in holistic health, not hardcore spirituality, though that there was a little bit in there, but what attracted to me attra attracted me to studying with him was the you know the the health stuff, sort of the tangible stuff. But that got me in the door, and what really fired me up was uh, learning about the intangible aspects, how our emotions affect us, and then even into what what we now call the spiritual world. So my my search for meaning, I. Uh, led me into stumbling into my spiritual path. And how I would define my spiritual path is uh, looking to connect with something bigger than me, as well as connecting to my sense of purpose and my sense of meaning. And and I needed a gluten-free breadcrumb trail to get me in that door. <laughs> because if you just said to 19-year-old JP, hey, do you want to start exploring spirituality? I'd say, no, that sounds horrible. Sounds very boring. So apparently life knew that it needed to say to JP, hey, do you want to explore exercise and nutrition? I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. So I got in the door and then, it, okay. Uh, next breadcrumb on the trail was, uh, do you want to explore stress reduction? Cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, then the next breadcrumb trail, do you want to explore emotions? Yeah. You know, I'm, uh, uh, I'm up for that. And then the next breadcrumb trail, do you want to explore this even more mysterious and tangible realm of spirituality? It's like, yeah, now I do. Uh, so I, I needed, uh, steps and I'm, I'm sure myself, just like everybody else, I'm still stepping the dance of my journey. So yeah, I, I was, uh, I think very graced with, uh, being baited into taking steps that I was willing to take. If all at once Craig, you came to me and, you know, showed me where I needed to be, I probably wouldn't have taken the leap into that space, but, Life has a nice way of uh, tricking us, I think, into being where we need to be, even though that's not where we want to be from our initial frame of mind. Yeah. 
Um, the way that you described emotion and how you were kind of disconnected from it and numb in a sense, and that was like a coping mechanism in regards to kind of being unable to deal with, you know, your childhood or whatever you'd gone through. I think that's a really common thing that people do yeah. is not just completely, totally disconnect from all emotion, like you said, both the good sure. and the bad. But did you have some, like, at what point do you have awareness that you are detached from those feelings and detached from emotion? Because I think that a lot of times people don't even realize, especially when you've been doing it for so long and it's such a coping mechanism and a survival mechanism. At what point did you have awareness enough to realize that's what I'm doing and I need to do something different? Yeah, and I love the question. I, to me, the meaning behind your question is essentially a numb fish doesn't know it's swimming in numb waters. It's like, yeah, that, it's so familiar uh, to be numb when that's been our modus operandi our whole lives. How the hell do we figure out we're numb? So it's essentially how do we break the threshold of being numb to our numbness? So for me, there were uh, a couple things. Uh, one was I'd noticed people around me were more emotional than me. And normally, like, I'd just play that off. Like, well, I'm just more emotionally put together. I'm more stable. <laughs> but after, <laughs> I got after all my while, shit together. I'm squared away. Absolutely. But after a couple of decades, I, you know, I started to become curious. Like, wow, other people seem to be more in touch with their emotions than I. And, um, and other people can cry where I'd go six years without crying. And I thought that meant I was super stable. But after a while, I figured out, no, that's because I was super unstable. So starting to question myself in relation to the world around me was a, a very helpful thing. Not, not at all a comfortable thing. And, and I think, I also, around the age of 20, uh, started to get in touch with a very powerful yet subtle feeling of emptiness inside of me. And, and it didn't feel good. But the fact that it was subtle allowed me to ignore it for a while. But the fact that it was powerful really motivated me to eventually pay attention to it. And then I am also not going to discount the beautiful blessing of having wise people around me, which, by the way, I think there's some of us that are delusional enough to think like, well, you know, maybe JP had some awesome mentors, but not me. And I would disagree with that. I think there's no shortage of wise people around us. The question is, do we have the awareness uh, to see the, the wise people that are around us? They have the ability to help us help ourselves into seeing what we can't see about ourselves. So I, I think a lot of times we have a self-limiting story that's, ah, you know, I live in uh, Oklahoma, so there's no wise people around. And I think that that story becomes a very self-serving limitation. So uh, long story short, what I'm getting at is uh, one of my early mentors, this time a guy named John McMullen, he was very instrumental in helping me thaw the ice age of numbness that I had been stuck in for a couple decades. 
And, uh, and I'll never forget. It was December 3rd, 2002. It was the very first day of the very first workshop I took with John. And, and John is a very intuitive person. He doesn't see the fronts people put up. So unfortunately he didn't buy into the stoic facade that I <laughs> rocked up to the workshop. And so he saw things in me that I was disconnected from and he, uh, he gracefully uh, brought them up specifically. He asked me about a time when I was seven, uh, the relationship I had with my sister and, you know, the gist of it is my parents were going through, uh, separation saying they're going to get divorced, then getting back together. And it was a very, very unstable time, but nonetheless, in the relationship uh, with my sister, she was looking for to me as a father figure and I would punish her for uh, being emotionally needy towards me but i had no idea that happened but when he when john brought it up when he brought the unseen uh from my heart up into the light of day it really helped me connect to emotions that had been just sitting in my emotional colon for 15 years sitting there rotting so i was in tears and i i felt very like not good because like this, I'm crying. I don't cry. I'm feeling things that I, I didn't even know were here about a time, a long, long you know, time ago. So it, it definitely wasn't comfortable. Definitely wasn't what I wanted. But uh, the assistance of other people, this case, John McMullen, were very instrumental. Uh, and I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of merit to us being uh, interdependent beings where we look for our wisdom, love and self care from within. Awesome. There, we, we need that. Uh, it, and not to be seduced by demonizing codependence where I think at times we can, uh, we can sell ourselves the story. I'm just self sufficient. But really, that's a justification for us disconnecting from other people. And some of the other people uh, have the ability to be powerful angelic mirrors in our life who can show us ourselves in a way that we can't see without the mirror of the other person. So for me, the, you know, there's a reason, I think, why there's seven and a half billion other people on this planet, um, aside from just us. So I think being willing to uh, uh, take in the reflections of people around us, and especially people who carry life wisdom, I think you know, that's been something I've really learned to value. And I think it can be a, a great benefit to other people as well. Do you ever find yourself even, you know, we fast forward now to where you're currently at in life and the way that you've been able to process through uh, seeing your shadow side and going through the process of tapping into those emotions that were buried so deep. And um, But do you ever find yourself kind of falling back into some of those old patterns and routines now where you'll start to become more effective and more, um, you know, disconnected from emotion in your daily life and things like that? Man, Craig, I wish you didn't ask that question because I'd, <laughs> I'd love to just sit here and hallucinate so hard, but no, no, I'm, I'm put together now, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's Not so, you know, it's the reason I ask it is because one of the things I like doing is 
you know, people out there listen to the podcast and they get to listen to JP talk about different things and whatnot. But at the end of the day, you know, you're ultra spiritual and you're connected and you've got all these amazing things that are going on in your life. And I'm sure you could speak on, you know, the law of attraction and the power of the universe and all these different things and how you've seen it influence and affect your life in such a positive way. But at the end of the day, I'm sure you still get stuck in some shit and some routine yeah. and some things that, you know, I know in my experience, because uh, you talked about people that think they're very self-sufficient, that's a really common one for me to fall back on where oh, sure. I disconnect from people around me and think I've got everything squared away and I know how I feel and I know how I process and I, I can do it all by myself. And, you know, that's a really um, typical routine and pattern for me that I have to be aware of in order to avoid falling into it too deep. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right there with you. I absolutely struggle. And, and to me, the beautiful part of struggling is it means we're not stuck in complacency. You know, struggling doesn't necessarily feel glorious or blissful, but that's what freaking strengthens us. You know, it, I would have great concern for the person who is so delusional that they uh, wear the facade of being a bliss bunny and refuse to have the in-depth awareness of self of seeing and feeling their struggles. To me, that means it's just like a, a uh, an astronaut that goes to the space station. They're there for a few months. They come back so weak that they can't walk. Why? Because they didn't have the struggle. They didn't have the resistance of the struggle against gravity. So their lack of struggle weakened the hell out of them. It really did. And, you know, the first couple decades of my life, I refused to struggle. I was stuck in complacency. But then it's kind of like, man, I have the desire to walk. So I figured out I've got to struggle. The struggle is what strengthens us. Just like if we want to go to, if we want our muscles to get bigger or stronger, we know that paradoxically we have to let our muscles struggle. That's why we go to the weight room, pick up a weight that isn't easy, but it's a struggle to lift it. And uh, getting more specific, uh, the struggles that come up fairly frequently, and by frequently I mean at least every day, is my tendency to emotionally disconnect and how that uh, shows up is never directly. I mean, that'd be too easy. So for <laughs> me, I have to I have to notice the symptoms of when I've emotionally disconnected. And usually it's about, it's, a, it's I'm becoming obsessive compulsive around work and productivity. And so when I'm thinking, oh, I, I need to check my email or, oh, I need to do this or do that, you know, and there's like an, a bit of a low grade anxiousness behind it. I realize, okay, I'm, I'm looking to be productive right now, not purposeful, but productive. And that is the symptom. That's the fingerprint evidence that I've disconnected from myself, uh, emotionally and, uh, people around me. So right now I'm, I'm absolutely blessed to be in a, a beautiful, loving relationship. And what I'm doing that I've never done in my life is I am prioritizing this loving relationship even ahead of work, even ahead of productivity. And that scares the hell out of a part of me. And it's taking me deeper into connection um, with myself uh, and other people becoming more emotionally connected. 
So while I'm doing my best to keep my uh, compass, if you will, calibrated on prioritizing this relationship, I'll become uncalibrated at times and starting to, you know, I'm not saying like, oh, I'm just not working. No, I, I work plenty. I have a hell of a work ethic. But when I become compulsive around work, that's when I, I need to check myself, as Ice Cube would say, before I wreck myself. <laughs> that's a hard thing to recognize, though, because, uh, like you said, become compulsive about work, where I think, especially like in our society in general, where, you know, the concept and idea that you have to work hard in order to achieve greatness in life and all the things that you want in life don't come without hard work. And so it's very um, accepted that you know, somebody that's devoted themselves to work, regardless of whatever it may be, it could be their nine to five job or, you know, they're an entrepreneur or whatever the case may be, but they're going to spend so much time and energy. And that's how you get to where you want to be. And that's how you get what you want. But For sure. that dynamic of recognizing the difference between hard work and investing time and energy so that you're driving the thing forward, but yet you're not compulsive about it. I mean, that's a slippery slope. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And that, that slope has, you know, multiple different sides to slide down. And, <laughs> and I think it's a, a great um, attribute to have a strong work ethic. I mean, there, there's some people who don't have a strong work ethic and their lives would be greatly enhanced to develop an ambitious warrior-like work ethic. And and looking at my life, like I've developed that I have, it's not something I need to develop. So where I find myself and how you're talking about a lot of people in the entrepreneurial space, you know, we've got the work ethic, but the question is, can we also not work hard at times? If we're needing to be working hard, productive 24 seven, then our work ethic that we've developed, it's become a great attribute attribute. Now it's working against us. It's swallowing us. I think anything, really anything that we get stuck in starts to swallow us. But any attribute that we can go into and be the diehard, ambitious warrior working away in our business, be there for a while when it's appropriate, and then step out of that polarity. I think that works for it. So whether we step in into it for eight hours at a time, 10 hours at a time, occasionally 18 hours at a time, but can we step out of that? That's the question. Because uh, a great friend of mine, a guy named Brandon Hawk, I heard him say this recently, manic action is not the goal. But when we're stuck in the quote unquote strong work ethic, we're really strongly working against ourselves through manic action. We're never willing to sit still enough within ourselves to feel what it's like to be in our own skin. And we use the drug of manic action and the anxiety and the neurotransmitter and the hormonal effects that that creates means we're feeling those hormonal neurotransmitter effects, which becomes uh, uh, endogenous self-medication to anesthetize uh, us from our own core emotions. And uh, it's probably a better way to uh, self-medicate than drugs or alcohol, but it's got a price tag. Yeah. At the end, it's still, like you said, disconnecting from those core emotions. Yeah, absolutely. So as you're describing yourself and talking a little bit about you, it's wonderful because I get to learn a little bit more about you, but I can almost see in a sense where 
Because if you think about the character from that you portray on the ultra spiritual videos and the different things like that, and your book, by the way, we're going to get to your book. I'm halfway through it, but um, that whole character that you kind of portray is so deadpan. And they're, like you said, they're satirical videos that kind of bring attention to some of these different things in the spiritual community and in different, you know, realms. But he's so just deadpan and disconnected to, an, do you know what I mean? To a certain extent. Yeah. And it's great and it works wonderfully in regards to the videos and, the, and that character that you've created. But it almost seems, and this isn't a negative thing, I think it's a very cool sure. thing that you've been able to manage and work into your life. But maybe that's an outlet for you. Maybe that's a way for you to still have that that thing in life that you, you know, kind of commonly used to do in regards to emotions, yeah. still be able to step into that a little bit to where, you know, maybe you can... I don't know, be in that space, but yet in a character role, I, I'm just sitting here thinking about it and it, it kind of makes sense to me and I'm not doing a wonderful job to explain it, but I can see how that's almost an outlet to where, cause that guy is, you know, that guy's disconnected from emotion and feeling. And <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. You're, you're a hundred percent right. You know, the, the deadpan characteristics of my character be redundant with derivatives of the word character there. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's me. It absolutely is in, in essentially magnifying that tendency that I've had big time in my life and that I still regress into at times in my life. Uh, being able to magnify it is very, it's a, a great act of self-awareness that helps me. So, and of course, uh, I would, you know, in my twenties when I started to adopt a spiritual vocabulary, I love to rationalize my emotional disconnection as like, you know, I'm emotionally put together and I'm stoic, but, uh, but that was just a rationalization. And, and yeah, being able to portray that with a character, I think really, uh, to me, it's important to, uh, express the, you know, the, the severity that can happen when we're emotionally disconnected. And I would say that, my character expresses one polarity of it, the deadpan polarity, the stoic polarity. And then there's another polarity that my character doesn't express, but it's certainly out there. And I would call that the bliss bunny uh, method of emotional disconnection, where <laughs> we might always have a smile on our face and yeah, it's all good, brother. Oneness. Yeah, yeah. you see that one a lot. I mean, that one's real for, common. For sure. And to me, that's using uh, shallow uh, emotionality as a way of disconnecting from emotional vulnerability that runs deep. So we, we can very much, uh, be in an emotional state and that emotional state becomes the self medication that disconnects us from our more authentic emotions. And, and the, the question that I'd ask everybody to ask themselves to figure out, are you there? Is, are you stuck in that state? You know, the, I use the term bliss bunny uh, just because it, it, it's a fun term to use. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the bliss bunny state, if we're always smiling and always happy, we're not truly happy. We're manic. That is a personality disorder. It's like looking at a rainbow and I only acknowledge one color. The design team made our bodies to experience, to produce and experience and express the whole rainbow of emotions, not just the color of emotions that we like. You know, the, the you know, stoic JP likes no emotions, no colors. I don't want to look at the rainbow. And then the bliss bunny might be, oh, I just want to, purple is my favorite color. So that's the only one I'm going to acknowledge. 
So we realize, okay, if I'm only looking at the color purple, only expressing happiness in my life, I am disconnected from uh, 90% of myself. The other 90% of myself produces and experiences other emotions. So I think appearing to be happy and blissful, it's an emotional state, but it's a shallow emotional state if that's where we're there. It can become what we use to self-medicate from our real vulnerable feelings, yeah, in my opinion. I totally agree. And I mean, I love the, I, I don't know if I've ever heard the bliss bunny before. That's funny. But I mean, it's those people that are all love and light that are just For all sure. about the rainbow and the unicorns and the fairies and that we're going to meditate and uh, everything's going to be better at the end of the day. And on my path and on my journey, as I go through, you know, me personally, the experience of becoming more open to all of these different things and kind of reshaping my life and my belief systems, I got to that point where I, you know, I was going to always look at things in that very optimistic way that, you know, and that's sure. why it's the Energy is Love podcast because at the core of what I think is that the energy that's connected all of us is just love. And so I just wanted to stay in that place. And I remember I even told myself at one point that Whenever I would meet people, whether it was, you know, friends or family or anybody that I knew or even people that I didn't know, maybe we were going to an event or something like that and I would meet new people, I always wanted to give people hugs. And so I was going to go out and hug everybody. Mm -hmm. and, and that worked for like a week. And I'm like, I don't really like hugging people. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was just funny in the, cause that was my way of trying to, you know, wear that, wear that crown or, paint myself in a certain light. And at the end of the day, I'm still kind of lying to myself and disconnecting from myself by staying in that space. But, you know, it's a challenge. It's always a challenge. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, the hugging people and you know, all of that, like, awesome. And, <laughs> and let's, ha let's have an attitude of gratitude. And also, let's be more than that. I think realness and authenticity is always bigger than just one dimension of self-expression. So if we're hugging people, then can we also be angry when we're actually angry? Or do we have to have such a negative attitude about our negative emotions, if you will, which that's an interesting term, negative emotions. But, you know, do we have to have such a negative attitude about our negative emotions that we uh, have so much shame about them that we reject them before they even come up. And I think, you know, the, the posture of a bliss bunny always needing to be just awesome all the time uh, doesn't mean we're awesome all the time. It means that's a way that we're getting our emotional needs met. And that smile, you know, just like the Joker in Batman, that manic smile can be the you, essentially the fingerprint evidence of how much we are rejecting everything else about ourselves. As big and long as our smile is, that's how deep and wide our self-rejection might be. You know, we all poop out of our butts. And I use that <laughs> as an analogy. Like, one, it's true. Like, it's scientifically proven. <laughs> but I, I use that as an analogy because we all poop out of our butts. And that's something that None of us really celebrate. We all pretend like we don't. We go to the bathroom, we shut the door, then we do our business, flush the evidence down the toilet, then come out like nothing ever happened. 
Like, even though we pretend like it's, you know, we don't do it and it's not something we celebrate, we all do it. So I think emotionally speaking, that represents something about us. We all get angry at times. We all feel shame at times. We all feel fear at times. And I think those emotions work for us if we embrace them. And I don't think anybody has ever been hurt by painful emotions. I think people have self-induced hurt all the time through avoiding their hurtful emotions, their painful emotions, so much like pooping. That really works for us. I mean, it's not our favorite thing to do. It's not something that we're going to like post on Facebook, but that is so healthy for us. But if we don't poop, wow, that what would otherwise be a healthy practice, now we're in a position where we're becoming toxic. And I think same thing, if we don't poop emotionally, if we don't have a way to get in touch with our anger, our fear, our shame, our guilt, our jealousy, then we are becoming very emotionally constipated. And I, my hand is raised big time on this. I was a person who would absolutely swear, Craig, I have no anger, but really my message was I have no awareness of how much anger I have. If you are a human being, then it's my delusional opinion. You absolutely have emotional poop in you. It's got to come out, preferably in a healthy way, not a destructive way. Um, And so with that said, I do believe that we become greatly enhanced. Uh, we become more authentic. Our lives have more meaning and more quality and more purpose, I might add, and I would dare say more spiritual connection when we can embrace what is. And at times, that's some stinky, filthy, poopy emotions. Yeah, for sure. I know that when I'm ever, I mean, there's plenty of times where I get stuck and you know, you'll have a day or a week or even sometimes longer. And you're just like, I have to ride this out and be in it, even though it's miserable and horrible and terrible. And every point in my life when I've gone through something incredibly difficult or felt like I've been kind of stuck in some sort of um, stage of depression or something like that, I've always come out of it. I've always eventually gotten to the point where, you know, everything's back to love and light and happiness and birds chirping. But I think it is very important to like you said, get, get all that stuff out and then also be cognitive and aware of it when, when it's happening. But absolutely. now my brain just went, um, Oh, what was your original kind of, cause my guess is like you said, the whole ultra spiritual guy and the videos and everything happened organically in a sense. Um, what were you originally kind of wanting to do or what were you hoping to kind of create in the process of reaching out to people and like an online presence and like what was your original goal I guess yeah I had no goal and I (laughs) I think and I think that worked for me Uh, I think not having a premeditated vision of what this this in air quotes is supposed to be made it much easier for me to just allow it to unfold naturally into what it's meant to be. I think oftentimes, you know, at least in my life, when I've been rigid about goals and here's a vision, here's what I want to create, 
at times I can um, block a better way. I can block how it's supposed to be because I become very dogmatic about how I think it's supposed to be. So, you know, the first video, I thought it was going to be just one video of me sharing in a, a comical way how to be spiritual by telling people how not to be spiritual under the guise that it's how to be spiritual. So I thought it was just going to be a, a one-time video. Um, so with that said, it's been a delightful surprise uh, as I've been the blind man stumbling along, having no idea where I'm going but apparently, I think the more I follow my heart and what feels good to me with regard to expressing that creativity, the more blindly following my heart allows me to uh, get to places that seem very rich and meaningful for me. And, and yeah, so zero agenda about videos growing into anything, zero agenda about growing a large following and... Um, and I, I, I really enjoy that agendalessness of it all. And, and I personally, on my good days, I don't make decisions based on what I think. I make decisions based on what I feel. And, you know, the, the vision that I might have about what this is supposed to be would be principally thought based. Uh, but being in the moment with, oh, I, I feel inspired to do a video and uh, let me do another video, that kind of in the moment feeling um, orientation around my decision making apparently has been good for me. And, and just one other thing I'll say probably with different words uh, would be the, the decision making based on my, my heart feelings and my gut instinct that's very short-sighted. It's pretty present moment oriented as opposed to the thinking that, you know, goes more into the future about what is this supposed to be. Not saying there's anything wrong with that yet. It's just something that hasn't really been a part of uh, my journey. My guess is, I mean, if I would, you'll obviously know better because you're the guy, you're the guy that's in it. But it seems to me like looking at it from the outside, being a fan of yours, following you on, you know, not just your YouTube and Facebook and everything like that, but probably like in the last year, year and a half, you've kind of just exploded where you're getting, I mean, now it's, it used to be, I would come across your videos or maybe some friends of mine would share them on Facebook, but they were always the type of people that were in the realm of spirituality and that new age sure. community. And now I see your stuff all the time and it's from people that, you know, I wouldn't typically classify as somebody that would be into that type of stuff. But your the reach that you're getting now, I think, has just kind of exploded. What has that been like to kind of go through that experience of because I think that <laughs> I think it would be challenging on one hand, uh, wonderful on the other hand. But then at the end of the day, it's like, how do you maintain kind of that deeper seated centeredness when you've got all that craziness that's kind of happening and maybe it's not crazy maybe i'm completely off in left field no well you might be but i'm there in left field with you brother <laughs> um first like how how has it been it's been exciting thrilling scary yeah it, it's been all of those things 
and and how I maintain my center is uh, losing my balance, but doing my best to come back into balance. So there, you know, to me, it's not a matter of like, how do I stay centered and not, you know, lose sight of what's real, not lose my sense of self, because I, I, I can't do that. I, can't, I don't know how to prevent myself from going out of balance. So when I do go out of balance, I do my best to become aware of it where I might get caught up in, ooh, you know, this recognition. Let's just get a little obsessive about I'm checking the views on the videos and uh, prioritizing what's not the priority. Um, it, so recognizing when I'm losing myself, I think, is uh, one of my keys to regaining my sense of self, my balance, noticing when I'm getting caught up in what other people think of me or how many people might be thinking of me. Just, just notice, not with the purpose of punishing myself for it, but for the purpose of noticing it. Much like a surfer, they'll just be falling flat uh, on every wave they catch if they have no awareness of when they're losing their balance. But a, a surfer who is aware when they're losing their balance, they can then adjust their center of gravity, allows them to stay on their board and what we would call balanced. But I think the key to being balanced is recognizing as quickly as we can when we're going out of balance. And lastly, I'll, I'll say the, uh, this comes to my mind, the scariest part of the you know, the exponential growth and recognition that's been happening over the past year and a half or so the uh, scariest part is uh, the idea of me losing myself I, I am genuinely scared that uh, I'll, I'll lose myself into the the temptations of recognition fame accolades status and and I'm glad that I can be scared because all that stuff is very gratifying to my ego and it is very unfulfilling to my heart. And and I think I value the fact that I'm scared of it because I think it helps give me a healthy awareness and boundary and vigilance about my ego uh, because it's your recognition is a very dangerous thing for an ego. And I, my girlfriend and I just yesterday, we were talking about Justin Bieber, forget how he came up, but he came up and, you know, he started to get mega fame when he was, I don't know what he was, 14, maybe even younger. I would not wish that on my worst enemy. I absolutely wouldn't let alone a young child who hasn't had even a drop of time to do very conscious self-work of rooting into themselves and healing old wounds that block them from being genuinely rooted to their true self. Uh, to me, that's a curse because I, I look at myself and I've been, you know, I'm 35 now and I've been doing very conscious self-work for 15 years. And that's not to say I'm arrived at the destination to say, no, I struggle like <laughs> hell. And the good news is I struggle like hell. Again, like it's better than being stuck in a place of complacency. So given the fact that I've had 15 years of consistent self-work, the, the recognition from the growth that I've received is still a struggle. And I can't imagine uh, someone, who, whether 
either young or old, but especially young, who gets a lot of recognition without the without years worth of an infrastructure of self created. To me, that is uh, an absolute curse. Um, so yeah. Anyway, that's a little bit that comes to my mind about it all. Do you have? Because now you've got all these people that you know with the notoriety and the fame and things like that that come along with what you're doing. Because one of the things that I really like is I, I would watch your videos and they're funny and I enjoyed them and, you know, they're fun to share and they're fun to laugh about and it's good stuff. And But then I would always go and seek out all the other videos that you were putting out because I loved mm. watching, you know, your longer videos when you would address a topic about um, whatever it would be, whatever the uh, topic would be. And also, uh, when we came out and saw you speak, um, you know, you had, you were kind of doing your character in the first part of when you're speaking and you're lighthearted and you're bringing, you know, everybody's laughing and you're kind of loosening up the crowd in a sense. And sure. I enjoyed it and I loved it. And at one point my wife and I, I'm like, okay, it's good stuff. Don't get me wrong. But I want like the JP that I want. Like I want, yeah. <laughs> I want him to get in. And you did, and that was so you know rewarding and fulfilling. And I, I'm rambling, but it's like now that you've got this opportunity, where you've got the ability to reach the amount of people that you're reaching, are you kind of hoping, or do you have something in the back of your mind where you know maybe they'll go out and seek some more of your information where you can reach them now? You know, maybe you caught their attention with being gluten intolerant or uh, the, oh gosh, the meat eater. If meat eaters acted like uh, vegetarians, like that's a wonderful yeah. one. Are you hoping that they go and seek out a little bit more, that you spark something in them and where they're going to, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, to me, the comedy, the the purpose of it and the whole scheme of things, the comedy rototills the soil so that something deeper can go in and penetrate and germinate. And so much like during the, the live um, show in Salt Lake City, I start with stand-up comedy and then go into what I would call stand-up authenticity. And the purpose of the comedy, you know, there's multiple purposes. It's great to laugh, have a good time. And maybe there's some alchemical magic happening with the comedy in the moment. But also the comedy is rototilling the soil for then a deeper, more sincere, authentic message to come in. So, yeah, it is my hope when people watch my videos, read my book, that they'll, you know, you know, the comedy gets them in the door, but hopefully their psyches will be a little bit rototilled. The scar tissue of the psyche gets broken up so that there's more openness to consider more heartfelt messages. And I don't care if they look to me and my sincere videos and other offerings for those heartfelt messages, or they look to other people or other parts of themselves. Uh, I don't have too much attachment to that, but the idea of them becoming more rototilled and open to it is absolutely one of the purposes I believe the comedy has. So your book, I'm about, like I said, I'm about halfway through it. I got the uh, audio version. And so <laughs> it's what I enjoy listening to when I'm traveling and uh, waiting awesome. in airports and stuff like that. But how long have you been, like, when did you decide I'm going to write a book? When did you decide that this was something that you wanted to do? Yeah, it was about May 2015. Publishers started to approach me 
uh, for two reasons. I mean, nowadays, with social media, which that's a thing, people. It's like a newsflash. Hey, social <laughs> media is a thing. But uh, with a, the current way the world is, uh, publishers are they become attracted to uh, people with a growing followings because, from the business perspective, someone with a large following, if they write a book, they have more likelihood of selling a bunch of books. So it's good for business. And then, of course, you know publisher assuming they have integrity they'll they'll need to like your message and value it so i started to get approached by publishers and and the first publisher that i was approached with was sounds true and they ended up being the ones that i went with and they've been just amazing i love sounds true and loved them even before they approached me so they they approached me with the idea of doing a comedy book you know, uh, from the perspective of my character. And and before they had, I had always had in the back of my mind, like, yeah, one day I'll write a book. But I will, uh, but that day isn't today. And I was always thinking, of course, a book's going to be written from a serious perspective, and that's great. But it wasn't time to write a serious book. The idea of writing a comedy book, especially a comedy book that delivers a deeper message that had never even crossed my mind until the publisher started to approach me. And when they did, it, it felt like a great idea, scared the hell out of me. <laughs> you know, it's like I said, I don't like to make decisions based on what I think, but the feeling was, this is a yes. I'm getting lit up inside. Uh, my thinking was, no, this is scary. I don't know. How, I don't know. I don't know if I can write a book. That's oh. Um, so anyway, I, I, I sat with it, but I knew right away the answer was going to be yes. And yeah, so from the, 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 I guess May 2015 is when the idea started to become tossed around and then the, the actual, uh, process, uh, started, uh, I guess a few months later. Was it enjoyable? Like, was there, you know, did you? like the process of putting all those thoughts down on I, paper and everything. And I, I did. It was a new well of creativity. I went to, you know, with videos. Oh, I love it. Such wonderful creativity, uh, that I tap into feels great for me. Very, uh, fulfilling inside. But with the book, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a deeper well, uh, that I went to. So there is like the water, if you will, had, a different mineral content. It was just amazing. And, and that's not to, uh, um, forget there. It was very intimidating and scary as well. Uh, it was just like a, a cliff dive. You know, very one, like the whole project. Ugh, I've agreed to do a book. Can I do a book? That was scary. You know, saying yes to do something that I don't know how to do or if I can do it. And then, you know, beginning each chapter, not knowing exactly what's going to unfold was like jumping off a cliff and not knowing exactly what, where, uh, what I was going to land on or where I was going to land or when I was going to land. So scary, intimidating process. And I think that was also part of what made it a very thrilling process. And, and accordingly, because I didn't know exactly how the book was going to come out, I'm like, how could you? I mean, it's like, do you write a book in your head and then you write it on paper? I think it's a active creative discovery in the process. So I got to t uh, tap into parts of myself that I, 
otherwise wouldn't have connected with uh, if I wasn't going into the depths of writing a book. So the, the book honestly was a rite of passage for me. It was uh, a, a sort of saying the same thing, but it was a bit of a hero's journey for me. Very thrilling, scary, and I would dare say I emerged from the journey of writing the book a more whole person, uh, having had a life experience, wisdom, and connection with myself that I didn't have before I answered the call uh, of the journey. And then when I, uh, when I finished writing the first draft of the book, I actually went through a grieving process. Like I missed the daily ritual of swimming in this well of creativity. So uh, I, I grieved the completion of the, you know, the initial manuscript for, uh, I don't know, probably at least a week. It was honestly sort of depressing. I can imagine. <laughs> um, thank you so much, JP. I, I can't thank absolutely. you enough. It's been absolutely wonderful. Um, give us a sneak peek, if you would, like of what you got coming up or what's you know in the plans for 2017 and beyond when it comes to the ultra-spiritual JP Sears. Yes, I'd love to give you a sneak peek. I would, for the, the next little while, I'm I'm nurturing this baby that's been born uh, into the world called my book, How to Be Ultra Spiritual. So doing a number of events around that um, and, yeah, just really wanting to welcome this book into the world. And, and from there, I'll be doing more uh, stage performances, uh, perhaps later in this year, if not early 2018. I will be, uh, me and my team will be organizing uh, a tour. Uh, I'll call it a stand-up comedy, stand-up authenticity tour. So that's going to be very exciting for me. And in the meantime, you know, do, speaking and performing at other events is something I've been doing and I'll continue to enjoy. But also on, on the video front, uh, something I've been doing recently, which I've, I'm really enjoying, is uh, not with all my videos, but some videos uh, approaching subject matter that's outside of the spiritual world. I would say it's still within the world of conscious people. Uh, for instance, recently you know, did a video on how to be a minimalist, how to be an entrepreneur, uh, uh, a little bit of uh, stuff around the election. So breaking out and doing videos on those kind of topics, but still using language as, or I'm sorry, using comedy as a language that I'm expressing my perspective um, from and doing my best to use the videos as a way to facilitate more awareness around a given topic. So I'm enjoying the variety of uh, new video topics outside just the niche of spirituality. And I think a, a beautiful part of that, a nice consequence, is it connects me to people who otherwise wouldn't be connected to just a video about hardcore spirituality. And, you know, the entrepreneur video it connects me with people who uh, are in that realm, but they're not in what they would call the realm of spirituality. So topics that feel meaningful to me, whether they're in the spiritual realm or other realms, uh, is something I'm excited to continue um, 
fueling. I loved the entrepreneur one. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I had fun with that. Yeah. I definitely had fun with that. Um, and what's the easiest way for people to find you? Yeah, anywhere in social media, Awaken with JP. That's all my handles, uh, Awaken with JP. And if you care to go to my website, uh, awakenwithjp.com, I mean, whatever's found on the website, you'll, uh, that kind of stuff is there. So, but yeah, social media, I tend to be pretty active on there. So it's a great way to connect with me. Well, thank you, man. I really enjoyed it. And you're more than welcome to ever come back on the podcast whenever you'd like. Oh, thank you, Craig. I would love to invite myself back on. <laughs> I've had a great time with you, my friend, and I'm very grateful for you inviting me on. No, thank you. And everybody go out and have a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful day. Welcome to humankind. We all have an ego. I think that which we don't know about ourselves always controls us far more than what we do know about ourselves. There has to be something more to life than gratifying our five senses. I think realness and authenticity is always bigger than just one dimension of self-expression.